questions, he's got answers. Even though he may not understand, he'll talk anyway. He got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Welcome to Ask Science Mike, the weekly podcast where we believe that every sincere question deserves an honest and non-judgmental response. I'm your host, Mike McCarg, the Science Mike from the title, and this week's going to be a little different as I will be the one asking the questions, and uh, <laughs> it's an interview show. So uh, really excited about our guest this week. I think you're going to uh, love it if you're a fan of especially a little podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. This is going to be an interview that you will simply love. But even if you aren't familiar with Harry Potter and the sacred text, stick around because, um, well, this is a, a, a conversation that I think is going to be useful and relevant and applicable to all people. I mean, this is a really, really great conversation. Uh, but we'll talk about that in, in just a second. Uh, I do want to let you know um, that, as always, we need your questions on the program. So uh, if you'd like to have a question submitted to be a part of the program, just go to AskScienceMike.com. That's where you can send an email question or a voicemail question into the program uh, where we pick, you know, usually four questions a week, most weeks, to respond to on the program. So without further ado, Let's get into our conversation this week. Well, friends, I am delighted today. Um, you know, some of my favorite episodes are the episodes that I get to bring in people that I respect, admire, and let's be honest, that I just like. And today <laughs> is one of those situations. I, I literally can't believe it. Uh, we are going to talk today with Casper to Kyle today of none other than the world-changing, wildly popular podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, uh, which Casper co-hosts with Vanessa Zoltan. And it is like one of my absolute favorite podcasts. There are not many podcasts I listen to every episode of, but Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is one of them. Not just because I love Harry Potter, but I just love the work that Casper mm. is doing and helping people find meaning and do meaning making work in this age where kind of all of our organizational and mm -hmm. institutional meaning making systems seem to be falling by the wayside. Uh, Casper's doing this amazing work. And of course, today, uh, there's something special to talk about right on that note. Um, and that Casper has a new book coming out called The Power of Ritual, which we're going to learn all about together today and why you should pick up a copy. And that will be available in bookstores everywhere June 23rd, 2020. It is my pleasure to welcome to the program my hero and friend, Casper. How are oh, you? Mike. Ah, so good to see you. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I was going to say, like doing the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast isn't just for other people. It's mostly, mostly for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, we've been going four years at this point, and it's still it's still a joy every time we sit down and uh, and dig into the text, which which is probably, you know, has more to say about the text than me. But <laughs> well, And, you know, it comes across that way. When I listen to your program, you, you can hear that joy and that mm. enthusiasm. I think that's one of the reasons why the program has remains so popular and so steady, uh, which, mm. let's be honest, is pretty exceptional in media, <laughs> especially <laughs> podcasts. There's not a lot of podcasts with a multi-year arc uh, behind mm. them, so uh, 
Yeah, that's that's great. I, you know, I'd love if we could to start uh, mm. a little personally. You know, these are these are very difficult times that we're in. They're very overwhelming. And uh, how are you doing? Well, <laughs> um, I mean, it's every day's a roller coaster, um, mm-hmm. at least on the inside. Um, I'm a huge extrovert, so I love being around people. Um, mm. My work involves a lot of travel, I, you know. So I'm I'm I miss people intensely. Um, so that that's that's been tough. I live in Brooklyn, New York. We moved here uh, nine months ago, so we're still very new to New York City. And obviously, this has been the epicenter. Um, so it's it's been strange because we're also in Clinton Hill, which is a a lovely neighborhood, kind mm-hmm. of pretty pretty central to to Brooklyn. And of course, the impacts of COVID nineteen have been so aligned along class, race, you know, privilege lines that uh, me as you know a, a white homo, uh, I'm still in the, in a in a pretty you know uh, comfortable place in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm protected from so much of the the worst impacts. So. Um, one of the things that has changed is that I bought myself a game of Mario Kart and it is now the thing I look forward to <laughs> at the end of every day <laughs> is, is to, uh, is to, is to wear my Mario Kart hat and, and play some, uh, play some games. So that, I'm trying, is that, I'm trying is that to find Mario Kart eight on the Nintendo switch by chance. <laughs> it, it, it is indeed. Honestly, oh, what yeah. I really wanted was like an N64 with the Mario Kart of my childhood, mm-hmm. you know, all of these newfangled things. Uh, I'm noticing that I'm getting old cause I'm like, just give me, give me the good old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess, the, the larger point is trying to find new rhythms, right? Because how, right. how do we mark time? How do we, you know, I count every day um, to, to have some sense of where we are within this bigger story. But yeah, trying to find new new ways of, uh, of feeling at home in time as well as in the place that I'm living. You know, I'm a, um, a former extrovert. Mm. Um, I had a, a brain injury um, mm. from a motorcycle accident in, right. oh gosh, 2015. And it turned me into an introvert, um, and it it reduced my cognitive capacity enough that my symptom presentation for autism spectrum disorder mm. became apparent. Mm. And uh, I've really moved into a very introvert lifestyle, other than all the constant travel. Yeah, and so it's been strange for me um, the way in which life didn't change that much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear <laughs> um, you. Other than like my family, my wife and children Mm. are literally climbing the walls of the house, desperate to go somewhere. And I'm like, what's the problem? We got like our (laughs) furniture and the dog. Like, what else could you want? And um, it's, it's, uh, I imagine for people, you know, neurologically, there are, there are differences in introverts Mm -hmm. and extroverts based on the amount of stimulation required to kind of maintain a baseline level of activity in the brain. Introverts' uh, stimulus tends to be overwhelming. Extroverts, their brains are desperate for stimulus. And I can't imagine having that kind of extroverted (laughs) neurological uh, bias and being physical Mm. distancing. It sounds very, very hard. I mean, it's it's definitely led me to be creative. I've had some weeks where I I don't want to get out of bed and then other weeks where I feel this sudden creative energy um, 
one of those bursts happened when I was like, well, I love singing. Let's just sing online. Um, so I started doing this like Sunday Corona choir, um, which which we ran for about two months every Sunday and, you know, had like a hundred folks join on Zoom. And my husband and I would teach songs line by line and everyone else was muted. And, and one of the interesting things I think about this experience is that there are some things that we're now able to do that we couldn't do before. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being folks who maybe had been told that they, you know, they should mouth the words rather than sing them or that they didn't feel confident in their singing voice. Um, we had a bunch of folks join and uh, and sing along with us. And of course, everyone was muted so they could sing to their heart's content. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, yeah, it's just, I, th- I think it's definitely interesting to, to see what are the new things that are going to be developed, right? The, both new technologies, but also new ways in which we, maybe we listen to each other better if we have to mute and unmute ourselves. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, who's who's speaking up? Who's who's uh, who's taking up less space? Hmm. Now, although I can't imagine that it would be true, it is it is possible that there are, is maybe one or two people who listen to Ask Science Mike who aren't familiar with <laughs> Harry Potter and the sacred text. Would you mind kind of catching up those folks who are a little behind oh, in yeah. their media awareness, kind of what's going on over there, and and uh, just just briefly the arc of that show before we kind of hop into your latest work. Yeah, well, first of all, it it sounds like a weird name, so I'm with you if you're hearing it for the first time. I I, I know people like Harry Potter and the what sacred what? Uh, the, the, what are you trying to create a new Potter religion? Okay, moving away, you know, backing away slowly. Um, so the the idea is, you know, for centuries, for millennia, human beings have turned to texts to help make meaning of our lives. Um, if you think of, of the Passover story, right, that that Jewish folks uh, tell and retell every year uh, during the Passover festival, it's the exodus from, from Egypt into Israel. And, and every year the story is the same, um, right? There's the 10 plagues, uh, but every year we interpret those 10 plagues differently, or we interpret the need for liberation uh, differently. And, and we might ask ourselves, you know, who, who or what is a pharaoh in my life right now? And, and that simple exercise of meaning-making from a text is exactly what we're doing, but instead of using the Bible, we're using the Harry Potter books. So for the last four and a half years, we've been reading uh, each chapter of Harry Potter through a particular theme. So we might be looking for um, love, or we might be looking for revenge or, or honesty. Um, and then we practice some traditional, either Christian or, or Jewish practices, um, that help us engage a specific little piece of text, maybe a sentence or even an individual word. Word, and ask ourselves some reflective questions that aren't about the story. So it's not trying to figure out the plot or, you know, why did J.K. Rowling do this or that? But it's really asking questions about our own lives and how do we want to live? What's important to me? How do I want to be in the world? Mm. Um, and we we get to use those characters and those stories as a, as a mirror, really, in which we get to see ourselves and we have a new understanding of, of our own experience. And so the, mm-hmm. the text is always new because our lives are always changing. Mm-hmm. It's such an essential thing that I think um, people who grow up in earnestly religious homes, mm-hmm. uh, that's such a valuable thing people get from their faith tradition. You know, I remember when I I thought that the Bible was like literally God the, talking to me. Right, right. And then every time I would read it, something would speak to me in that text. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> That was framed in really socially regressive ways. Mm-hmm. 
which is a problem, <laughs> very problematic. And I derived incredible comfort and meaning in my life yeah. from that kind of living text. And as I've gotten older and as I've had a faith transition or 12, um, <laughs> and, uh, and there's more coming, yeah. there's more coming. Um, I've become aware that uh, we can have this kind of vibrant relationship with any text which has yes. a, a narrative that cap- captivates us. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, you know, as, uh, uh, as a lifelong Bible reader, I, the mm. only set of books that have the same kind of mileage on them in my life is actually the Harry Potter series. Yeah. And that's why I just thought it was so brilliant and so clever that you engage people uh, in this meaning making work around this, this mega best selling series of novels because it helps people understand what are the mechanisms that bring text to life what are the ways in which we do craft meaning what are the ways in which we can uh, find inspiration from something that's seemingly inanimate Uh, a collection of words on a page or uh, even words we hear through a digital recording in an audio book it's just it's such great work you know but here's here's the thing, Mike. We we didn't even have to make this up. I mean, people. I mean, the Harry Potter books are now twenty twenty three years old. Uh, oh my gosh! We, right, I know, I know, I know. Let's not dwell on that point. Uh, and I'm pretty much the age that Harry was, you know, during the nineties and then into the two thousands. But the, the 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 thing that we discovered is that we so many folks were already turning to these books. In, in a ritual way, right? Maybe it was after a breakup or after the loss of a loved one, or, you know, maybe it was like every new year in January, I reread all seven books, right? So so folks were already doing this. And that's that's so much part of, it's become so much part of my philosophy to think about, you know, what what are, what are we already doing in our culture that hints towards meaning making, that, that points towards deeper connection? And then how can we, you know, bring the gifts of religious traditions and help us do it better? So we're, we're, we're centering those eternal longings and those eternal human experiences. And then we're giving, you know, we're giving some structures, some guidance, some tools from, you know, whether it's a practice like Lexio Divina from Christianity or Pardes from Judaism, that like those are amazing practices that we can then apply. So it's not really like teaching people sacred reading. It's like revealing that what we were all already doing was kind mm-hmm. of sacred reading. You know, it's interesting, like, you bring that up. Um, full disclosure, your new book, The Power of Ritual. I have my copy on order, uh, but I haven't <laughs> read it yet. So I'm, I'm going off kind of the 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 press materials as I kind of think about where to take yeah. the interview. But even in the summaries I've seen, you list out CrossFit and SoulCycle, the Harry <laughs> Potter series, gratitude journals, uh, breaks from technology, all these kind of things as new yeah. means of people trying to find belonging and meaning. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. l- let's let's talk a little bit about that. What as As you sat down to write The Power of Ritual, what was your motivation, and what are people getting right, um, and what are people missing as they try to form mm. rituals in their lives? Yeah. So I want to say I grew up with no religious background. I, I grew up in the UK. Both my parents are Dutch, and I think next to Denmark, Holland is like the most secular country in the world. So I, I didn't know anyone who went to church. Like God was this 
I, you know, this absent idea that felt mostly irrelevant, mm-hmm. honestly. And then certainly when I came out, I was like, well, religion's either irrelevant or cruel, so screw you. You know, like, it was just so absent, um, and yet still, you know, ha- had its impact uh, in terms of making me feel not great about myself. So I, I have never considered myself as like a religious person. But here's the thing. What I have always wanted is to feel deeply connected to other people. Um, I went to a boarding school when I was 13, and you can imagine a kind of house full of 50 testosterone-fueled teenage boys with, you know, half-naked supermodels and sports cars. And, <laughs> and then next to my bed, there's like glitter gel pens <laughs> and lots of Agatha Christie novels. Uh, <laughs> so, like, that... <laughs> that was my experience as a teenager. And so I was like, I was desperately lonely, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a mm-hmm. teen. And so just hungering for that for that sense of belonging and connection and what i've learned as i've grown older and and through my studies at harvard divinity school are that there are these amazing strategies that help us feel connected right these practices and not just to other people but to ourselves uh, the natural world and the transcendent, right? But whatever language or, or framework you you think about that kind of essential divinity, um, that that all of us have those connections and these practices remind us that they are true. Mm. And so what I what I wanted to write about was to point to the places in our culture right now, within this story of you know less more and more people are less and less religious. We're leaving religion behind to say actually no where religion is happening is changing. So if you look through that kind of lens at what's happening in a CrossFit community, right, this this intense fitness community, where people aren't just working out together, but they are celebrating each other's birthdays, they have drinks on a Friday night, they have a talent show where someone plays the cello for the first time in 20 years, they raise money for each other if someone's diagnosed with breast cancer, um, they, they honor the dead by naming specific workouts after people who've died in the line of service. Um, right, all of these things, when you start to see them as a whole, they're getting married. They're, they're having funerals in their CrossFit spaces. When you start to look at that as a whole, you're like, wow, this looks a lot like a congregation. And there's all of these little rituals that help people feel connected to a community. Um, or if you think about, you know, the, the kind of self-care industry that's that's kind of massively grown, this well-being world of, of journaling and um you know, retreats and face masks and all of these kind of things that are supposed to help us reconnect with with our authentic selves, with our with our sense of our soulfulness. Um, even though none of them are ostensibly religious, I think what they're doing are, are pointing to the same things that the traditional religion tries to point us to. And so, my hope with the book is that readers will kind of reflect on their own life and be like, "Oh wow, I didn't realize that." you know, snuggling my kids before bedtime or um, the moment when I, you know, light a candle on a Saturday morning to create a nice atmosphere when I'm having a a lie-in or whatever it is, that each of those can become sacred rituals if we we just bring a little bit of the wisdom of tradition to Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. I think about that so much in my work, you know. Um, Mm. Here we are, social primates. And in the United States... Um, there's a tough thing in being a person. And one, we're incredibly socially oriented. And mm-hmm. two, community formation is fraught with peril and risk of rejection. It's oh this God, so terrible much. push-pull <laughs> instinct we have. We desperately want connection with other people. Yes. We desperately don't want to be rejected. And um, 
for a long time in the United States and Europe, social institutions, often with a religious focus, became the fabric in which people uh, did a common set of activities together. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I was a kid, there was this uh, strange phenomenon. We went to church all the time. We went Mm -hmm. on Wednesday nights. We went on Sunday mornings. We went on Sunday nights. Sometimes there was a budget meeting Tuesday night. There was a third (laughs) and all the time. And I couldn't figure out, like, why do we go to church so much? And um, the culture of the church I grew up in, the Southern Baptist Church, started in rural communities where, let's be honest, other than working your fields, there is literally nothing to do. <laughs> and so churches became these social institutions. Like the reason there was a budget mm-hmm. meeting Tuesday night was so people could see another human face. And the church mm-hmm. budget was an excuse to do that, right? Sunday nights happen <laughs> because Sunday morning was kind of a more formal time of gathering. Sunday nights in churches tend to have a wildly social focus. And so we had these yeah. institutionalized ritualistic practices that not only helped us find meaning individually, it helped us find a sense of belonging collectively. And, you know, mm-hmm. as we look at the the deinstitutionalization of religion across the world, um, Europe and Canada and Australia have taken one path. They have become uh, less religious and people actually identify as being less spiritual in those cultures. In the United yeah. States, people are definitely identifying less and less religious, but no one is identifying as less spiritual. Atheism is not really growing in the United States the way it is in other countries. And um, I have wondered how much the spiritually kind of homeless nature of the United States plays into some of our cultural woes as people still have social longing they uh, were frankly explicitly harmed by the institution mm-hmm. that once created the meaning. I'm not sitting here writing a defense of the, the horrific things Absolutely. the church across the world, especially in the United States, has done. Uh, and yet there was also something lost. Um, in your yeah. book, um, you, I, I love you talking about how we're bringing in this, this intention from these wisdom traditions and bringing in the sacred into moments in our days. Do you also speak to the collective action of ritual making? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, ju- I just want to emphasize something that's so important because we we can look back at these, you know, uh, I just see like the 1950s and some sort of like movie reel, right? Um, and and there may be, you know, beautiful things there, but also many, many troubling mm-hmm. ones. Um, not least, right? Like I, I just wouldn't have been able to be myself. Um, so I, 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 I don't want to celebrate something too, uh, too much. But what I, what I do think is so important as we think about those shifting sands of how these these trends are playing out, is one of the biggest conceptions that we have in the United States and generally in the Western world about religion is that it's about what you believe, mm-hmm. right? That it's about <laughs> the classic, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? That's the classic classic, classic question. And, and for so much of the majority world outside of really Protestantism, because even Catholicism has, has a different orientation, it's more about what you practice, It's about what you do. Do you venerate elders, right? Do you perform these rituals? Do you participate in these community activities? You can can hear so many folks uh, who are Jewish in America who might say, you know, I'm an atheist Jew, which just 
illustrates that that you can be Jewish in many, many ways that are far beyond just your belief in something, right? It's about the food you eat. It's about the the, the holidays you celebrate, the people you, you, you connect with. So one of my interests is to think about, when we think about religion, uh, to think about them in terms of practices and what you do together. So to answer your question, when we think about community rituals, there are so many, right? Uh, we, we mentioned working out together. I think it's one of the most powerful ways in, we, in which we get to practice kind of making sacred together mm. because our culture is so cynical <laughs> and so brain-oriented so much of the time that it takes us to become physically exhausted, sweaty and disgusting, to open up our kind of vulnerability and really open our hearts. And so, um, you know, the, the the growth in obstacle courses and uh, long distance running and all, all sorts of, you know, double dutch clubs, wh- whatever it looks like. Part of why we love these embodied practices is because they help us feel connected to one another at a physiological level in which we don't need to use language and we don't need to rationalize what's happening. Because you feel that sense of, at SoulCycle, they talk about riding as a pack, right? So you're kind of decentering your individual self and you're centering a larger collective. And exercise is a powerful way of doing that. Uh, another way that I talk about in the book is, is simply eating together, um, right? We have so many rituals around the dinner table, whether it's about clinking glasses or, or toasting or literally, you know, having food from the same larger bowl to make sure that no one gets poisoned, right? <laughs> Those kind of old traditions, but they illustrate a, a connectivity um, that that Nora Ephron says, you know, what makes up a family is people who eat the same thing for dinner, uh, which I think is so lovely because it's it's one of those daily things that we do we do anyway, but nonetheless over time become these, uh, you know, these totems or these hallmarks of what makes us us and not them, right? It, it gives us a a way of feeling like we're connected in in our home or in our community. <laughs> Ask Science Mike would be impossible without the support of our amazing sponsors. And one of our most long-running sponsors is KiwiCo. KiwiCo is um, uh, like a physical STEAM learning service. I'm, it's, it's almost hard to explain, but amazing. What KiwiCo does is, uh, first of all, STEAM is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And KiwiCo helps people of all ages from... Uh, you know, young children in their first year of life, all the way to senior adults, learn more by doing. These are hands-on, practical learning exercises that are incredibly fun, uh, that help us work through engineering principles and and uh, art style and and craft work and and the dexterity that goes along with construction, along with the theory that goes behind it. They are a delightful company. Um, and you know, right now, when a lot of us are spending more time at home, a delightful way to spend a few hours that does not involve a screen. Uh, so you know, they've got a lot of different cli- uh, lines, beginning with the Panda Crate for children zero to twenty-four months, all the way up to the Maker and Eureka crates for people ages fourteen to one hundred four. These things are designed right in California. They are sustainably produced. You get one every month. And of course, you can change to any of KiwiCo's lines anytime you want. and Get a different line every month if you'd like. 
They are uh, simply a wonderful service, and they have a special offer for listeners of Ask Science Mike. If you go to kiwico.com slash Mike, you'll get 60% off your first month of any line. So why not try it today? kiwico.com slash Mike. The collective exercise thing. Hmm. Um, I'm so there, and <laughs> it's so intimidating for me to exercise around other people. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. I can't tell you. Like, for, for, as part of research for my work, you know, I joined a bunch of CrossFits. I suck at it. I hate mm -hmm. it. And 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 I, th you know, for me, this is part of the the usefulness of thinking about these different levels of connection, right, to ourselves, one another, the natural world, and and the transcendent. Because as we talked about, I'm super extroverted, so I find plenty of ways to feel connected to other people. And so exercise isn't necessarily one that's that's a big one for me. The ones I suck at are feeling connected to nature and like actually making time to feel connected to what I really want. I'm I'm an Enneagram three, so we're great at not noticing our own feelings and just doing whatever is going to make other people happy, um, and or at least impress them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. More more mm -hmm. importantly, and so it's it's the it's the discipline for me of you know, separating myself from the world or intentionally introspecting. Those are the ones that 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 are much, much harder for me that I need lots and lots of help with. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what are, in your own life, mm. what are some of the rituals every week that are the most meaningful to you? Yeah. I'll share. I'll share two of them. Um, one that that ex, you know explicitly tries to do what I find hard to do is my my weekly tech Sabbath. So um, on a Friday night, I turn off my phone, I turn off my laptop mm. as it's getting dark, and I I literally have to hide them because if I can see them, I'm gonna want to use them. So I put them like underneath books. I hide them in my bookshelf, and then I light a little candle. And I sing a song to myself from summer camp with, you know, when I was like 11, which is a, it's in Dutch. So I'll, sp I'll spare you the singing, but it, <laughs> it's basically saying like, it, it's, it's saying good night to the sun and you know, that, that, uh, it's been, it's been a good day. Mm. Um, and honestly, Mike, it feels every time that I do it now, it feels like going on vacation mm. because it gives me a, a respite, um, from, from the kind of the demands of the world, but also my own like striving um, because I literally can't do the things that I'd want to do, you know, in terms of, Oh, let me search that on Google. Oh, let me write down that idea. And, and I'm very inspired by Abraham Joshua Heschel's uh, a wonderful Jewish theologian of the 20th century uh, about his, his writing about the Sabbath. He has a wonderful short book called the Sabbath, if anyone's interested in checking it out. And the thing that I took away from it, which is so different, I think from how our kind of general culture talks about rest, because most of the time we talk about rest as being a time of preparation for work. Right, that we center our identity and achievement and uh, and productivity, and and Heschel tells us that no, the Sabbath is the apex. Like the point of the work 
is for the rest. Mm-hmm. So it, it 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 makes the the Sabbath this moment of delicious delight. I mean, there's even a commandment that you're supposed to make love on the Sabbath, which you know, hooray! Um, <laughs> so it's <laughs> let's let's try and find time for that. But it's it, there's there's an orientation that it, you're supposed to just delight in the goodness of 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 being alive. You know, eating delicious food, um, and so for me. I I love I love that time and it's become ironically uh also a time when a lot of my most creative thinking comes up because I might try and write a poem or I might draw something or I might sing to myself and it it just it just allows space for so much of my life that I I just I just I don't prioritize mm. during the rest of the mm-hmm. week so that's that's become a really important one um, the other small one I'll mention is a, is a daily ritual where um, I broke both my legs in, a, in a, an accident. I fell off a pier more than, gosh, a long time ago now, 12 years or so. Um, and uh, um, when I was recovering, I had to kind of relearn how to walk and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I had to do these ankle exercises. And every morning I do them in the in the shower, just turning my ankle clockwise and anticlockwise. And um, I'll say to myself now and then, just, I might die today. Which sounds super gruesome, but it's it's a little memento mori, right? That tradition of of reminding ourselves of our mortality. Um, you'll see it sometimes in Renaissance painting. A skull is hidden away somewhere, or um, it, it's a reminder that you know, use this moment, use this day as if it was your last. Mm. And it, again, it sounds cliche and it sounds silly, but if you if you start to do it every day. It, it it's an amazing reframer uh, from I have to do this I have to do that to I get to do this I get to do that and um, you know my husband probably doesn't agree that it makes <laughs> a huge difference to how I am but I, it feels different for me so. <laughs> it's, I was just struck by something as you said mm. um, it sounds silly it sounds cliche and I don't know if maybe my no. cynicism muscles are all worn out now and don't work anymore but that did not sound silly or cliche to me at all. Mm. Just not at all. Um, mm. I've been so struck with that right now. Um, <clears throat> the newscasts saying yeah. how many people were lost today, every day. Like, it's yeah. never become a number for me. I cry every day. Mm. Um, and I think there's such value than mm. recognizing the fleeting nature of our lives yeah and you know establishing one one thing that ritual does is it sets up boundaries that's right uh, you know i i delight in all that smartphones offer the world you know i i think about like how someone carrying an iphone using voiceover can do something as simple as point the camera at a at a, a piece of currency and know what bill Absolutely. they're holding. Like that that is not a genie I want to put back in the bottle. No. Give it to right. me. <laughs> and and these things have had yeah. this like really significant impact on our mental health and our social functioning. And yeah. I have had such a valued ritual. Um I put my phone to bed for hours a day. Uh oh, I get wow. up in the morning, the phone stays, it sleeps in. Uh so kind of after I've gone outside and uh, meditated a bit and done mm. a little writing in the morning. Then I go get my phone. I wake it up and I say good morning to my phone. And we have a couple hours together. And then about lunchtime, it goes back to bed for a few hours. And Mike, do you have do you have like a little sleeping bag for it? Is there a physical? There thing is a little it cradle goes? it sits in up yes. on the like uh, 
up uh, it's a comfy space it's a very it's got a charger there i mean it's just a, it's like a phone spa uh yes. it's a great space for my phone <laughs> to hang out and, and and for us to have time apart as we need it gets to run its software updates and i get to <laughs> be a functioning human being and then but i you know but this is so much of my work is on a computer um yeah. so that's harder to set a boundary with because i also have pretty severe um learning disabilities yes. and handwriting is wildly mm-hmm. difficult for me uh, mm-hmm. So for me to journal, I need a keyboard. And so what I've learned to right. do, because the problem is less my smartphone and more this that smartphone puts the internet <laughs> in my pocket, That's is right. uh, I put my laptop on airplane mode and I open up a full screen text editor. And uh, so if I need to journal, if I need to have some creative time, uh, if I switch over to Safari kind of compulsively, nothing will happen because <laughs> airplane mode that goes you're not connect the internet i go oh yeah and that that ritual reestablishes to me i'm in this time of focus and in this time of creativity and i was i was asked recently from the launch of my book in an interview like do you experience writer's block and i said not really and it's because Mm. for me writing and podcasting frankly are rituals i have Mm. these little routines i go through to get myself mentally into each of those spaces and um i might be an extreme presentation of that because of autism but all of our brains work that way all of our brains are absolutely. guided by space and routine absolutely. and activity but let's but let's be really precise here because this is one of the things that i i really had to grapple with in the writing of the book we use the word ritual kind of similarly to habit or routine or uh, you know, the, the pattern of our everyday. And I, I want to be a little careful with that because for me, a ritual is always going to be an external uh, change of an internal change, right? That it, there's, there's some meaning beyond the functionality. So brushing your teeth every day is a habit because you want to have, you know, good, healthy gums uh, and healthy teeth. That doesn't make it a ritual. Now, if you if you brought to the brushing of the teeth an intention to say, you know, I want to uh, wish health for you know my family as I as I brush my teeth, that that would change it because then you're doing an external action for an internal you know change or an internal uh, desire, and so I, I love that you have the little physical place for your phone because it's it it, it you know it, it's it's a it's an action that expresses a, uh, an intention. And I, I, I want to ask you, is there anything that you do? Because I'm sure that you do beyond the airplane mode. Like, do you sit somewhere different? Do you like what else happens when you're when you're writing creatively and not, you know, not a, allowing yourself to have that sweet, sweet Wi-Fi access? You know, um, yes. I, well, one thing I would say, I am I'm autistic. Mm. And so um, I think maybe the the delineation between habit and ritual is <laughs> harder for me to make <laughs> yeah, um yeah. if i brush my teeth at a different time of the day or someone interrupts me while i brush my teeth my day is it's ruined big, yeah like i yeah, i can't function and for me habit has a wildly therapeutic mm-hmm. effect a wildly mm-hmm. grounding effect a wild mm-hmm. there's nothing i do that i do every day that doesn't that doesn't have, doesn't cultivate yeah. profound internal change for me Beautiful. And, um, you know, I um, I do curate my space differently. Well, one, I have a, I, I have a feelings chair. 
So oh, I have the chair I, I sit in to, to work in in my office. And since I, I work from the home, my, my space is somewhat limited compared to people who work in a more traditional office space. So I have my office chair mm-hmm. at my desk, and then I have my feelings chair over by a sliding glass door where there's some great mm. natural light. And my feelings chair is where I go to have feelings. I go read in my feelings chair. And if I'm going to go just think, I think in my feelings chair because it's a more open-hearted yes. place. And then I will take the f- six steps over to my office chair with my work, my uh, mm-hmm. full screen text editor open, and I will write what I've just thought. And then when I kind of like run out of steam, I get up out of my work chair and I go back to my feelings chair and I see what grows yeah. and expands out of my heart. And I just walk back and forth in those times uh, to giving yeah. my brain kind of the delineation because what, you know, and I also like, I can write a lot of words that don't mean anything. I'm good at the mechanics of writing. And when I become mm-hmm. aware that like I'm just per- performatively <laughs> pressing keys together to hit some arbitrary word count, I get out of the office chair and I go back to the thinking chair and I kind of cultivate an inner space from which mm-hmm. I can communicate something of value to the reader, uh, something mm-hmm. that's coming from the deepest part of my feelings and my lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, this is why we create sacred spaces, right? We, we, we create a, um, a physical place in which we can receive, whether it's inspiration or we can make a place of devotion or memory, um, or, or, you know, and, and I love that language of memory actually, especially because so often we talk about rituals as like achieving something or, mm-hmm. or, or helping us get somewhere that we wanted to go. Um, and I, I really try and remember that it's really about opening to something that's already true, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's about remembering the connection that already exists. It's not about establishing it in in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, w- I want a feelings chair, Mike. That sounds great. <laughs> it is great. I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is this is the the lovely thing I think about talking about this kind of stuff is that we start to see oh wait i do this and that's kind of like a ritual or wait i have that place and that person maybe a tree that i go to with you know on a dog walk or i have that picture that i like looking at when i want to feel connected to to my family you know all, all, all of these things are kind of already in our life and it's it's just about noticing them and and giving them some some space and intention mm. Casper, as our as our time together this morning starts to close, is there is there anything else you'd like to let the listeners of Ask Science Mike know, either about the power of mm. ritual or about life and work or anything at all? Well, I'll say that I still don't fit into a spiritual box. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't have a congregation that I belong to. You know, if you ask me what God is, uh, depends on the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I guess that the thing that I'd invite all of us to to do is to to try and claim a little bit of spiritual confidence. Um, you know, I think we're all journeying, right? We're all we're all figuring things out. We're all experiencing new things, meeting new people. And my hope is that we don't do it alone. And so. Uh, one of the things that I write about in the book is is the power of having a, a small group, or in my life, it's called my confession group. So it's you know 
small group of people, three others that I get together with every month. And I admit all the things I've done, like I've screwed up, mm-hmm. like I've not mm-hmm. been the person that I wanted to be in my work, in my marriage, in my finances, you know, where have I fallen short of the values that are important to me? And that has a very spiritual dimension for me. And so, you know, finding even just one friend or maybe it's a mentor or a, a teacher or, a, you know, uh, a pen pal um, with whom you can share the kind of questions and longings and explorations of life's biggest questions. Um, for me, that's that's something that's so important because it centers our, our life journey in a very different orientation from the one that our dominant culture pushes us towards. Mm. So I hope, I hope that we can find one another uh, on the way through life. The book is The Power of Ritual, Turning Everyday Activities into Soulful Practices. It'll be available as a hardback, audiobook, and ebook starting June 23rd, 2020 in the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, and Canada. You can learn more about the book as well as connect with Casper's other work by visiting caspertk.com. Casper, it has been such a pleasure for me to talk with you today, and thanks for taking the time to be a part of Ask Science Mike. Thanks, Mike. So grateful for you. Take care. Ask Science Mike is created by the most amazing team in media. I'd like to thank uh, Greg Nordine for production and sound design, Caitlin Hermstad for production management. I'd like to thank Tanner Hearn and the team at Inverse for logistics support. Victory Palmazano is our producer. And uh, let's see, Jeb Bodiford wrote the Ask Science Mike theme song. Andrew Galecki handles pre-production. Of course, don't forget my patrons who uh, pick the questions every week and make the show financially possible. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I can't wait to talk with you again next week.